May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and acceptable, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I wanted to begin our uh, Christ the King Sunday, my sermon for today, with something from The Lion King, that animated epic uh, re- musical that was released in 1994. At the time it released, it was the second most uh, highest grossing film of all time, uh, up to that time, based Lucy on Shakespeare's play Hamlet, a struggle between the rightful king and a potential usurper, posing the question, who's the rightful king? I'm going to ask Bao to come up and help me. Where's Bao? There we go. Come on up, Bao. So I'm going to be Simba. I'm the, the young lion whose father is the rightful king, Mufasa, and uh, Bao is going to be Zazu, my sort of, uh, my foil. So, so we're, you ready? We're gonna, I'm not going to sing it. Just going to say it. I just can't wait to be king. I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. Well, I've never seen a king of beef with quite so little hair. I'm, I'm going to be the main event, like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my roar. Thus far, a rather uninspiring thing. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. No one's saying this. No one's saying stop that. Free to run around all day. Free to do it all my way. I think it's time that you and I arrange a heart-to-heart. Well, kings don't need advice from little hornbills for a start. If this is where the monarchy is headed, count me out. Out of service, out of Africa, I wouldn't hang about. This child is getting wildly out of wing. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Everybody look left, everybody look right. Everywhere you look, I'm standing in the spotlight. Not yet. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Thank you, Bao. Give Bao a hand. Simba, I think, kind of speaks for all of us that we desire to be king, to run our own show, to make our own decisions. And on Christ the King Sunday, it kind of throws it into stark contrast uh, between wanting ourselves to be king, sitting on the throne of our heart, and acknowledging Christ as the king who wants to sit on the throne of our heart. Christ the King, of course, concludes our liturgical year. It's one of the few uh, celebrations that looks to the future. Most of our celebrations in the church look to what God has done. And we live in the light of that. On Christ the King Sunday, we turn our eyes to the fact that Christ is the King who will return. It leads us into Advent, which starts next week. So our Christian year also begins with looking for the King to return. Now, during the actual four weeks of Advent, we're so preoccupied with getting ready for Christmas when we celebrate God coming into our midst as a little baby that we forget to do the, celebra- the preparations to welcome him when he comes back. He's promised to come back, and this time in glory. And Christ the King Sunday sh- throws it into sharp relief that we have a resistance in our heart to giving over the kingship to anyone else. And it shows a light on our own desperate attempts to keep ourselves on the throne of our hearts, to manufacture defenses. I think maybe especially for Americans whose DNA was kind of 
formed by throwing off a monarchy, throwing off the king, the rugged individualism of someone like John Wayne, or the songs of uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Even C.S. Lewis, whose uh, booklet we have available for Advent, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, he came to the point where he acknowledged that God did have a rightful place on the throne of his heart, but he had wanted nothing to do with it. And he said eventually he became the most reluctant convert in all of England. One of the quotes from this booklet, which I recommend to you, says, enemy occupied territory. That's what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. I was thinking about the word autonomy. There's something in us that wants to be autonomous. Autonomous means auto for self and nomos for law. Autonomy means developing or adhering to our own law, our, our rule of self, self-sufficient, self-centered and self-absorbed. We become prey to pride, the chief of all sins, and seek to construct our own security, our own identity, our own autonomy. Do you remember Chuck Colson from Watergate fame, who through the process of revealing what was going on, not only politically, but in his own heart, became a Christian, and he wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict, Kingdoms in Conflict, to see that there is a conflict. There is a sense of resistance when God comes and says, I want to sit on the throne of your heart. Let's look, if you will, at the gospel. The gospel reading today is rather a funny passage uh, when we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. It's not a picture of Christ victorious and in, in charge, but rather of him hanging on the cross, punished and powerless, hung between two criminals, if you read through the passage, the language is scoffed and mocked, taunted and derided. The people seem to be arraigned in unison against him. It says the people stand by, the leaders scoff, the soldiers mock. It's almost like they have something to bind them together in unity to resist him, to make fun of him. It's brought into relief when it says that there's an inscription over his head, the king of the Jews. And the soldier said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus never explicitly said, I am a king. And even in John's gospel, when uh, the people were enthralled by his teaching, it's, John says the people came to make him king by force. And he withdrew. He would have nothing to do with it. When Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He gave an ambiguous answer. That's what you say. But Jesus, nevertheless, in all his teaching, centered on the kingdom of God. And every kingdom, of course, needs a king. I think Jesus very much understood himself to be the ruler, the king, the head of the kingdom. And then we come at the end of the passage to the two thieves. It's interesting, the passage begins by saying Jesus hung between two criminals. And then at the end, we hear what they say. The one criminal says, "Do you not uh, says Savior? Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us." But he's rebuked by the other criminal. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? And it's almost as if these two criminals 
are the two positions we have to relate to the authority and the kingship of Christ. Let's read, look at verse, four, uh, you don't have the verse, in, in verse 40 it says, do you not fear God? So this is the criminal, one of the thieves, speaking to the other thief. But listen to it as if the thief was speaking to us. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. We too hang under the condemnation of sin and are only freed from it based on what Christ has done for us. When we insist on being our own king of our own hearts, it sets in motion a thing that separates people and drives us from God, alienates us and isolates us. But then the thief says to Jesus, the repentant thief, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Acknowledging Christ as king allows and draws people to come to him. Draws him, that is what Christ the king wants, to be in fellowship with us. If you look back just at the end of the Colossians reading, it's the same thing. After this staccato repetition or litany of Christ's uh, qualifications to be king, the fullness, the beginning, the head, what's the purpose of it? At the end he says, through him God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, making peace. So both of these passages look at bringing people together, working for harmony and unity and peace. Just like the collect for today that we read, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth divided and enslaved by sin may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule. Sin is really insisting on being on the throne of our hearts more than it is about the individual acts that we do. This um, arrogance that would set ourselves up and neglect God and reject God. If we insist on remaining in charge, allowing our own fears and lust to control our lives, we will never accomplish peace, but rather war and fear, hatred and judgment. We need a transfer of power. Do you notice in the Colossians reading, if you look back about the fourth line down, it says he rescued us from the power or the authority of darkness. He's rescued us from that kingdom and transferred us into the kingdom of light. So we need a transition team. We need to allow God to abdicate our own throne and pledge our allegiance to the one true king. Do you know the name John Donne? He was a medical phys metaphysical poet of the 17th century. And uh, I'm going to read to you a poem that he wrote called Batter My Heart. You might know it. He began as a poor poet, uh, but ended up as the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He went through personal religious turmoil and converting from Roman Catholicism to Anglicanism at a time when Roman Catholics were severely suppressed to go on for education or appointments. And he would eventually take holy orders in 1615, despite a profound reluctance and significant self-doubt about becoming a priest. 
not only personal turmoil, but he lived at a tumultuous time. He lived uh, d during the rule of three successive monarchs. He was born under Elizabeth I, lived under the rule of James I, and also under the rule of Charles I. Now, Charles I, of course, believed in the divine right of kings, that what a king said was what God said. And so he quarreled with Parliament. And eventually, 10 years after Dunn's death then, there was the English Civil War resulting in Oliver Cromwell taking position of authority and abolishing the monarchy. And so Dunn was very familiar with tumultuous times. He was also familiar with the tumultuous time in his own heart. And I'm going to read you this poem. Batter my heart, thinking of it as a battering ram. Batter my heart, three persons God. For you as yet, but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend. That I may rise and stand, or throw me. And bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like an usurped town, to another do. I labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason, your viceroy and me, me should defend, but is captive and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie me, or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste except you ravish me. John Dunn recognized the struggle and battle to allow God onto the throne of our heart. He understood the need for God himself to storm our defenses that we have built up in pride and fear and guilt. We are even incapable of tearing them down on our own. We need God's help. Christ has to come to us as king and beckons us to give him the rightful place on the throne of our hearts. If you have never done so, or if you haven't done it today, because I think it's a day-by-day -day operation, would you step down from the place on your throne of your heart to submit to his gracious, loving rule so that he can use us in the work of the kingdom to bring peace and justice as Micah says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. As we approach Thanksgiving, we give thanks that there is a true king in charge on the throne and pray that he would be on the throne of our hearts. He is the rightful king. He longs to be there to bless us, and he can make a much better job of ruling our lives. And he will send us out to do the work he has given us to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us rise as we affirm our faith.